when I, I got the first hundred or so users on the platform by going onto Twitter and cause, and this is a, this is something I would probably use on the next, if I was building a consumer facing company next time around, people love to complain on Twitter. It's like basically what Twitter is for. And if you can't find people complaining about your problem on Twitter, then maybe it's not that big of a problem. But if, if, if you can, then there's probably a lot of people in. This is Found in the Rockies, a podcast about the startup ecosystem in the Rocky Mountain region, featuring the founders, funders, and contributors, and the stories of what they're building. I'm Les Craig from Next Frontier Capital, and on today's show, we have a founder who launched his tech career as a hack star in Boulder. He then traveled all over the world, only to return to the Rockies to build and grow something new and very exciting. Meet Josh Nielsen, the CEO and founder of Zencaster. Josh is here today to talk to us about the trajectory of the podcasting industry, what podcasters need, and how his platform is innovating modern recording tools for quality conscious podcasters. Welcome, Josh. To start off, why don't you tell me a little bit about your story, uh, who you are, where you grew up, and how you ended up back in the Rockies. Yeah, so I grew up in Texas, Denton, Texas, a little bit north of Dallas. Lived there till I was about 16. Um, and then I've moved around a lot since then, mostly in Western US and then a little bit outside uh, the country as well. Um, definitely spent some time in the Rockies. I'm a, I've, I've found, I've lived in Hawaii and uh, Santa Monica and you know, Thailand, but the Rockies always keep me coming back. I'm sort of, uh, the mountains are my place. So I've spent some time living in Boulder, Colorado, um, Idaho. Uh, and then that right now I'm here in Salt Lake city, Utah. You've got it. You've got it all. You've got all the boxes checked. That's amazing. <laughs> what, uh, what do you think it is about the Rockies? Like, what is it? it you said the mountains, but like what, what, cause we hear that from a lot of our guests, like the Rockies draw them home, even, even when they, when they, when they go away for a little while, what is it? Um, well, I'll somewhat jokingly first is, uh, you know, uh, your viewers won't be able to see this, but I'm very pale and white and I just got so torched on the beach. <laughs> and so, um, but, yeah. no, I've, I don't know. I've always, I grew up in Texas and I remember thinking like seeing commercials of like ski trips in Colorado. And I just thought, man, that's, that's the life right there. Those are the happy people. And that's always kind of stuck with me. I've, I've loved snowboarding most of my life now that I've, gotten out of Texas. And, um, now I live, you know, about 30 minutes from Brighton ski resort right here in big Cottonwood Canyon, some of the best snow in the world. So, um, there's a lot to like. Yeah, no, no doubt. There's a lot to like. Um, so what, tell it, take us on the journey of, you know, sort of as a, as a, as a founder, uh, of, as a, you know, and as a startup founder and, um, you know, just professionally, how did you kind of get into this, this startup thing? So, um, I initially wanted to be a mechanic. Uh, I got, I was into drafting in high school, wanted to be a mechanical engineer. I found out there was just so much math. There's like this huge wall of math. You have to take like six courses of calculus and all this <laughs> stuff. And I, you know, I, I, I'd like to consider myself capable of all that, but I just realized that there was other people that were really, really enjoying it. And, yeah. um, I figured, you know, maybe, Maybe I, you know, I didn't make the decision to turn away from that, but as I was working towards that, I took an elective class. It was a programming class on how to build websites, very basic, um, you know, stuff, but it 
just was this really interesting other um, creative outlet and you could build stuff without parts and you know you don't have to worry about like going to the hardware store or whatever <laughs> and it still had that same idea of like here's your constraints build something that works that fits inside the box use your creativity and so that's what got me into like the programming side which then I think led pretty strongly into the entrepreneurship side I got my first job um, uh, at, 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 I, I say out of college but I didn't actually graduate um, I got a job uh, at a startup in uh, Los, well, Santa Monica. It was this company okay. called Mahalo. They it was run by Jason Calacanis. He runs the This Weekend Startups podcast uh, network. Sure, sure. And um, so that was kind of what got me into the startup space. I was really just like, I wanted to learn how to program. I wanted to like work at a company that was building cool stuff. And I, for me, it was like Google or any other company. It wasn't like I was focusing on small scale startups, but I just ended up in this place. And then, as you know, Jason has a huge amount of startup energy. He was doing this podcast. He was bringing entrepreneurs through like Elon Musk to come be yeah. on his show. Um, lots of like events and things. And I just caught the bug and I realized that, well, maybe somewhat delusionally thought that since I could program and build some of these systems that I could start my own company too. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Why not? It looks easy. <laughs> <laughs> You don't even need to go to the hardware store. It's that <laughs> yeah, easy. Yeah, yeah exactly. um, that's great. Well, I'm glad. It, I'm glad it was Mahalo and not Bird, because uh, if you work, if you were an early employee, wasn't Bird in Santa Monica? Was that? Am I right? Uh, I'm not familiar with what Bird. I don't remember. Bird, Bird, like the scooter. Oh, scooter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> that was a bit later on. This was back in like 2009, 10. Got I think. it. I see. Very cool. So that's fun. So, so you got this, you got a lot of energy and sort of drive and inspiration from Jason. Um, what was sort of, what was the journey? Like what was next? What was after, after that you got that fire in your belly? Well, I, I realized that um, I'm just not that a big, I'm not a big city person of, you know, I had come from a town right before that, that was like three, three or 4,000 people um, in I Hawaii. See. And so I was like in a very different setting, much more, laid back and not all this traffic and stuff. And then and when I went to LA, I loved it. I mean, it was a super cool new experience. It was a really fun city. It's got everything, but it's just so many people and sure. it just wasn't my vibe in the end. So I stayed there for about a year and a half. And then I, I was like, Hey, I love startups. I love working on, you know, programming, building stuff. I want to get involved more deeply. And I had been I don't know if it was a podcast or a YouTube channel or something. Well, no, actually one of my mentors and advisors and who's actually not an investor in Zencaster um, had gone through the Techstars associate program the year before, like in ah. 2010 or something. And he in was telling Boulder? me how- Is that in Techstars Boulder? Yeah, that was, this was when there was only Techstars Boulder. Ah, um, right, sure. So like, right, yeah, right, really. right at the beginning. And so um, yeah. I, think this, I think he was in like their second class or maybe in the first one. It was one of the first few. Um, and then he said, Hey, you know, if you want to do that, you should go check out these guys. I can intro you. Um, and there's I was, guy, there's this guy named Brad Feld. You got to meet. Right? Yeah. yeah right? Exactly. Never heard of him at that time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so cool. I, I, I kind of got connected there. I tried, I pitched them several times with like, as like trying to get in as a business, but you know, they had just in those few years, they had their deal flow had gotten so big that, you know, if you didn't have traction and, all yeah. this stuff, you really didn't have much of a chance. But they said, hey, you're building cool stuff. Um, why don't you join us as a 
they call it a hack star kind of a funny name but it's like a developer in residence you come and you help um their product their companies get ready for demo day so if they need development resources that they don't have internally you kind of join their team and help them build and so i ended up working with great companies the one i worked with the most there was called salesloft another one of those another one in that cohort that got real big was DigitalOcean. Oh, sure enough. We have all heard that name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, it was a great experience to be able to kind of, uh, cool. you know, rub elbows with those guys and then basically get to audit the Techstars experience, you know, get to hear all the speakers, go to all the events, kind of hang out. and uh, Probably like almost as good as being in the cohort, right? I mean, yeah, I kind of snuck in, I guess. So, <laughs> as uh, a hack star. That's cool. Yeah. That's great. Um, and then, uh, so you were living in Boulder at the time, participate as a hack star. And then, uh, did you, had you had ideas of, of starting your own thing at that time? Or were you still kind of thinking like, maybe I'll join one of these or. Yeah. So I think maybe even like the summer before we, I had done a, um, hackathon project with, um, or entered into a hackathon with some friends of mine from Mahalo. And we ended up building this sort of a social music sequencer. So like eight different people could join and it was like a repeating four, four or eight bar loop or something. And everybody would put their notes in and someone, some people would have drums and some people have synthesizers. And that, that sounds uh, I, like a way more fun version of like a social tool than clubhouse from, you know, like I, I would much rather, get in a room with people and jam like then then hear people blab on about stupid topics well it was it was fun it was really yeah. surprisingly i and and what was weird is that people you could chat in it and people um just my surprise was that people would actually make interesting sounding music it wasn't i thought it was i mean of course some people would just get in and draw like penises in the middle <laughs> like that was to be expected but right right um People but that's not who and, you're catering to. That's the platform. You did build a platform for those people. Right, right. Yeah. That's a different project. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but it actually, like, you, people would evolve. It was, like, these cool evolving beats. People were making music together. It was really fun. We ended up winning the hackathon, you know, which is small. And it was, like, uh, you know, I think we got, like, MacBooks out of it or something. But Nice. Um, it, uh, it just got me thinking, like, hey, maybe there's actually a real product there like anytime you get people to actually use something you build like because i build so many things that just you know crickets right right and so it it was a good idea when you were like you know for it's like the developer story of like well i i spent a month coding in my parents basement and then i was so shocked that no nobody else wanted to use it except me like you yeah, gotta yeah. get it right. Get out, get outside and show people. Yeah. I had done that enough times to realize that when people actually did start sticking around and playing with it and using it, that there's maybe something there. Yeah. Um, sure. The, the iteration of that, we took that to mean like, Hey, maybe there's a way for musicians to collaborate together online, make music together, sort of like a GitHub for music. If you're an uh, engineer, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. Like that, you know, people would want to share and you could all kind of um, build this, this library of assets together that we all benefit from. Um, So fun idea, started building it. Uh, Didn't work out for a lot of reasons. One of those reasons is that there's like this narrow band of musician engineers who love this idea. 
and then everybody, which is who we were, <laughs> and then right. everybody else hates it. Like most musicians are extremely protective of their assets. They don't want somebody to remix it without them yeah. having control. They don't want someone taking their their hit and then going make and then like it going big and then they don't get rights <laughs> to it. You know. <laughs> and so that just didn't work out. But as as I was building that with the with um that team, we realized that there's a lot of other um there was a lot of stuff coming out at the time. Like the browsers were now launching new features almost, almost weekly or, you know, monthly, I guess six weekly, but, um, they were, um, where you could access the microphone, yep. you could create synthesizers in the browser, you could filter the audio, you could save it, do all kinds of stuff that you couldn't do before. Um, I know. And, you know, I think that team, we all had different ideas of where to go at the, with that company. And so we just kind of dissolved it and moved on. What, um, what, uh, what, about what time frame was this, Josh? Like what, what year? So this would have been after, this is like the year, like basically right after Te Techstars Boulder ended, okay. Diablo 3 came out. We played that for about a week and a half. And then we started on <laughs> our new, on the company. You so, needed a break after Techstars. Yeah, so that was the plan. Like, we're just going to game for a couple of weeks and then we're going to, and we're going to jump into the next project. Sweet. Um, and so, oh, man, where was I? Yeah, so just in the in the journey and the evolution of of launching. Oh right, so that team, we you know we all kind of went our separate ways. We all just that we all just ended up contracting to stay afloat, and then all kind of drifted in separate ways as that goes. Um, yep. And then I ended up going to Australia to. <laughs> this is a big missing piece of the story, but when I was yeah. in Hawaii, I had met a girl. We had gotten engaged. Um, she was from New Zealand. Her visa <laughs> expired. She um, had to go back to back home. I had gotten this job in LA. And so we we're doing this long distance relationship that, and then we had kind of broken up during this period. But then I was like, okay, let's maybe try, let's try this again. So I chased, I went to Australia chasing Lucy. Um, and is Lucy still in the story? Now, yes. Or? Yes. Oh, she's, okay. Good. good. <laughs> she's now, she's now my wife. I, I was going to say, oh, great. Wonderful. I was going to say, <laughs> I, if Lucy's listening, <laughs> but she probably will listen. She's your wife. That's amazing. That's great. <laughs> um, yeah, no, she's still around. So, awesome. um, so it was worth it. It was, that was, that investment was worth yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it was the right choice. Uh, but yeah, I, I kind of went off on my own out there and started working on a, a project called, uh, robot audio, which I was wanting to build like a full on digital audio workstation in the browser hmm. that, um, uh, you know, was kind of like an Ableton live competitor that used all these new cool, fun stuff that the browsers were launching. Little do as I know. Think, do you think you would have, you know, I always like, it's kind of like the butterfly effect. It's like, had you not gone to Australia to pursue your future wife, like, do you think you would have still done this? Like, would you have still worked on robot audio? Is that in the cards no matter what? Well, I would have been working on a robot, but what happened is I then found out I had a baby on the way. And... <laughs> This is where, yes, this would not, this is a lot of this would not have happened if I hadn't gone to Australia okay. after that point. <laughs> I uh, think I understand why, but yes, continue. <laughs> okay. I, and I was like, wow. Okay. Um, this still seems like it was maybe not the most rational response, but I was like, okay, I got to get on the way. I need a faster path to revenue. I uh -huh. need to start a different business. Um, but I, I was a little bit more cautious. I mean, I, I did get like a, um, my buddy, Al, this is the guy who, who helped me get it hooked up with tech stars. He was running, he runs a uh, Missouri star quilt company, which is like e-commerce quilt shop. They're doing like 
tens of millions of dollars in revenue, just crushing it in the quilting space. Wow. Um, he, um, uh, he, I, he hired me on and let me work part-time for him while I worked on my business on the side to kind of incubate, uh, incubate the business. So did, I, Josh, I took a job I, with did him. I hear, did I hear you correctly? That's a quilting, a quilting business. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. I mean, I would have never, if you said, take a guess, I don't even think in guess like 100,056, I would have guessed that you took a quilt, you took an opportunity in a quilting business, but that's amazing. Yeah, no, that's, that's <laughs> what um, kind of bridged me between, cause I was like, I need, I need some really solid, reliable income while I do this. And that gave me what I needed to work remote. And it was, it was a hard sell to get a job at that time working remotely, especially from the other side of the world. Um, and right, so, different time zone, yeah, like yeah. not even compatible time zone. Yeah, no, New Zealand is not compatible with anybody's time zone. What were you Australia. doing? Right. What were you doing for the for the for that business for the quilting business? Were you was it like an uh, I was doing a front end engineering, so okay. working on their e commerce web web front. Scrappy, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, so you so you're you know you're you got mouths to feed now. You've got. Uh, some runway, like did you, did you kind of scrape up some uh, from that that part time work or, or or you know from that consulting engagement? You you scraped up some work or uh, scraped no, up I, some I, cash I, runway, or did you? I didn't have. I mean, I had well, I had infinite runway as long as I had a job, <laughs> right? True, Not, true. <laughs> okay, yeah, that was how I was looking at it. I didn't have a bunch of money saved up. Um, I see. We I'd blown through all that when was trying to work on Soundkeep the previous the previous one. The, so you're side that. hustling basically. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, so started where I, at, at one point, like literally two or three years before, I think I was at like Techstars San Antonio, that like Techstars for a day. Cause I was trying to apply with Soundkeep, the, the other company. And so one of their like 15, you know, they do like speed dating with mentors, just like one of those two minute conversations. Someone said, I don't know about podcasting or music, but podcasters have a problem with quality. Maybe you could help with there with this technology. Uh, and I was like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. But we're, we're musicians. We're building stuff for music. You know, we're passionate about music. And so I just never really thought about it. You know, we did we dropped the idea, but it wasn't mm -hmm. until I came, you know, years later when I was in Australia trying to figure out, okay, what's a quicker path to revenue using the skills and the tools I've got here. And I was like, you know, that podcasting idea came up. Uh, I, I like podcasts. I'm a little bit more open to exploring other ideas right now. Um, and so I started interviewing podcasters and found out that sure enough, they have this problem. They, most of their guests or co-hosts are remote. They, um, and at the time your options were you could either you, re you record with a Skype call recorder which the guest sounded like you were recording a Skype call, yeah. which back then was really bad. Um, <laughs> right. Or yeah. people were trying to train their guests or co-hosts to use audacity um, and like export an MP3 and send it over. And that, and, and a lot of people just weren't having guests because they found it to be too hard. They could either record in bad quality and piss off their audience, or they would have to make the guest jump through so many hoops. They pissed off the guest. Um, and so some of them just were like, it's a real problem. Yeah. It was yeah. a real problem. Sure. Yeah. So how many, how many, uh, you mentioned you interviewed some podcasters just, just for, you know, for some of our founders out there, uh, to get some context, like what, how many did you talk to or like what, when did you know that you had found something here through that process? So this is a little bit embarrassing. Not that many. I mean, I talked like, well, that's not true. I mean, I talked to like five people that I knew or so that were podcasters, okay. 
that were like trusted. Some one of them was like feature not a product. One of them I forgot, and then one of them said, "I'd pay twenty bucks a month if, if you solve this problem." And I was like, okay. "All right, let me let me." Uh, I was like, "I bet I can build something in about six weeks and test this out." So it was at least six months later um, before I had anything. Right, of course. <laughs> Developer uh, math. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like it's, I, it's, it's, I'm, I always fall prey to this thinking it's going to be easier for me to just build this and test it out in real life than like do all the proper validation stuff, which is like right. the, more, the not fun part. Yep. Um, I always say multiply by two, add three, carry the time units. And then that's <laughs> probably more realistic. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so you, so, so really, I mean, it sounds just, just to say it, uh, it's not always the quantity of the interviews of, of like trying to really understand your customer product, but you had some quality, you had some trusted people, you had some quality people that got you there, got you conviction in the opportunity. I could have, should have validated more, but this was literally the first time someone said, I will pay you money if you build this. And it sounded re- like it's hard yeah. to get the people to actually say that and then to actually follow through as well. But, um, uh, you know, that was interesting, started building it, built a prototype. Um, and I, I will say that, val- you know, the validation steps kind of kept coming. Um, mm-hmm. One of the, one of those stages was just, you know, when I did launch the prototype, people were actually using it and bringing other people on. Um, when I, I got the first hundred or so users on the platform by going onto Twitter and because, and this is a I, this is something I would probably use on the next. If I was building a consumer facing company next time around, people love to complain on Twitter. It's like basically what Twitter is for. And if you can't find people complaining about your problem on Twitter, then maybe it's not that big of a problem. Oh, that's cool. But if 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 you can, then there's probably a lot of people. And so, I, the first hundred users was people that would because what would happen is they'd record on Skype call recorder then they would publish it and then their audience would be tweeting them saying, man, I can't listen to this. What's wrong with your, why does the people sound so bad? I'm unsubscribing. And then they would get on and they'd be apologizing to their guests. They'd be angry. So I had these searches that were like, um, Skype uh, expletive, my podcast, like whatever. <laughs> and like just trying to search people that were angry at Skype about their podcast. And that was how I got the first hundred people on was just emailing their t- at mentioning them complaining and saying, Hey, we yeah. fixed it. Come try this out. And like almost all of them converted and tried That's it out. It's a pretty cool little gorilla kind of gorilla technique. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily that was, you know, I, you know, we'll see how well it would work for you. Every business is different, but you sure. know, for, for this one, it worked out well. So nice. And so you got it, you got a hundred customers. I mean, that's, that's, that's actually for, you know, to validate an idea. That's kind of a, well, kind of users, good... there was no uh, money. Uh, there was no money involved. <laughs> Sorry, I gave you way too much credit. Yeah, right. uh, but that's but still, that's okay. Hundred users, and then so that, that would for think? me that was amazing. Like <laughs> our, the previous project, like Soundkeep, I think we had gotten like thirty registrations total ever, uh-huh. like in the whole lifetime of the project. And so just seeing that, like it was actually sticky. People were coming. It was growing. You know, I didn't. Yep. I wasn't having to like force people into the registration. Like my friends, like please just try it. Um, so and are you, are you still in Australia at this point, by the way, or have you gone to some other exotic place? No. So looping background, I, I, I went to Australia, 
um, found out Marigold was on the way. That's that was her name. Beautiful. She, she, uh, yeah, and then we went name. to Aust- uh, we moved to New Zealand to have the baby because that's where my wife's from. She wanted to be close to her family. Have sure. Social health care there as well, which was really you know interesting to be part of. It costs like yep. twenty dollars to have a, a baby, which was like amazing. <laughs> that's like cheaper than getting like a daily rate on a rental car. I that's know. Amazing. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> um, All right. Then, yeah. So. Went there and we were there for about a year uh, or so. Okay. And then I had been working on, uh, I, I launched the prototype of Zencaster uh, from New Zealand and then I was running it. And then I, then we moved to Thailand to like save money, um, kind of get, get out of her parents' house, but not like jump into a bunch of expenses. And she really likes I, Thailand. I, I was interested in the travel. I didn't know that was a cheap place to live. I thought, well, I thought, it <laughs> depends on how you do it. You can okay. live very cheaply. You all can right. spend a lot of money if you want. Uh, the, what, that's what I found is that when it all came out and said and done, if you didn't want to live in like a bungalow on the beach, like you're going to still spend, you know, yeah. you still got to spend money. But it was it was a real fun experience raising her, having her uh, move to like a, when I got there, we went to like, the more populated areas and it was just too crazy for me like the, the you know it's just it's crowded i don't know if you've been to southeast asia but it's i have yeah. it can in the real populated areas it can be really challenging and confronting um if you're not used to that just environment yeah just culturally it's different yeah. in terms of space like you, your personal space is like defined by the limits of your body and that's yeah and like we had a baby and a stroller and there's no yeah. sidewalks and like sc- scooters are zooming past you and stuff and I, when i first got there i was like wow this is like but we figure out, all right, let's just get out of the city. We're just like, we need to, shouldn't be in. So we went to this like island off of an island and like got this place off a dead end road, off a dead end road. And But they had internet. So you were in They had internet. And um, it was just a really lovely place in the jungle. And I just parked in my office and worked all day. And the kids went to the beach and all this. I, you my, were really a digital nomad before it was even a thing, before it was cool. <laughs> um. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I never really thought about it. I actually don't like traveling. <laughs> I'm, I'm just reluctantly get dragged into it. I mean, I like I like new places and the new experiences, but I, I hate flying. I hate the process. Um, but, I, you know, when I get the, to the right place, the right zone, Thailand was really lovely. And um, it was a great place to just – not only was it a place where you can kind of live affordably and have, you know, fun – it was a great place to be free from distractions. Like I didn't have sure. any friends. I didn't have any like family <laughs> birthdays to go to or anything. I could literally life's, just life's terrible distractions. <laughs> well, I, I, it was taking so long to of get course. this product out the door. I mean, it already been launched it and been running it for a year for free. Yep. Um, no, I then, hear you. I, I remember, I mean, when I started my first company, it was like, you know, I had two kids and I had to deal with traffic on the beltway and DC, Baltimore. And it was like that it's like starting a company is hard enough, but then you throw in the complexity of life that we all typically create for ourselves, like getting married, having children, you know, and it's like, uh, it gets even harder. So yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. You, you created some space to, to work, work on this and make it real. Yeah. And it took all of that time really. I mean, I obviously I could have done a lot of things better and differently in retrospect, but um, that's what worked at the time. I ended up finally launching the paid plans there from uh, from Thailand, and 
you know, I had waited. So it, I, by this time it had been open as a prototype of some form or in beta for almost two years before I actually kicked on um, the paid plans Wow! Um, for a variety of reasons. One, I was scared to like make, I was scared to rip off that bandaid cause that's like when you really know. <laughs> oh yeah. And two, it just took a lot of time to get the products complicated. It was using new kind of, unstable APIs and these browsers that you had to like deal with a lot. It just took a while to get it stable. And then also um, just getting it like the billing stuff added yep. into it was, you know, a, took a lot longer than I had expected to get that all tuned up and to the right place. But when I launched it, I think cause I had waited too long, you know, we ended, ended up getting, I think it was like 13 or 15 K MRR came in in the first month. Wow. And just kept, kind of kept growing from there. And at that time, I mean, is it still just you as a solo entrepreneur, basically? Or did you have some other support and help? At this point, it was still just me. Because um, wow. I didn't have any, I wasn't making any money. I couldn't hire anybody. Yep. Um, the, the company, the business was costing me like three or 400 bucks a month. Um, and which was actually really cheap considering how many people were using it. Um, and then, Yeah. Just that is, I got to say, Jason, that is not a trivial revenue threshold to get to by yourself. I mean, that's like, I mean, maybe for a founding team of two, like that's not like that's you get to that first, you know, 10 to 20 K of MRR. Like that's a, that's a big deal, but you did it solo. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was, I was, I was very excited <laughs> and it happened so fast. Cause it was literally like every day you know, hundreds or thousands more were pouring in right at that beginning. And so it's like, you know, it was, it was, and I remember the mad, the most magical moment was on like, I use Stripe as a payment processor and they have this like vanity feature where you can make it ding every time a payment comes in. And I kept that on a lot longer than I would like to admit, but, uh, until it became like an alarm clock that was always ringing. You're yeah. like, ah, stop. It got, it got old after a while, but, um, being able to see that, like I went to bed last night and I woke up this morning and not only did all these payments come in, but now there's more recurring revenue coming in. Uh, just like seeing it like, okay, really? Wow. And you're making money in your sleep now. That's, that feels great. <laughs> That's so cool. So I got to say, our listeners are probably like, "Is, is did I tune in to found in the South Pacific? What is going <laughs> on here? Uh, we want to know, how did you get back to the Rockies? How did you, what called you home? How did you get back? Was it from there to, to Salt Lake? Is that was the next jump or? That was, I had actually left all my stuff in a storage unit in Boulder because I had every intention of coming back there. I really liked <laughs> Boulder. Um, but then you didn't have any, you didn't have like a diaper bag at the time though. So. <laughs> yeah. My life had changed a little bit by the time I got back. Um, what okay. happened? I decided to go back and get my stuff, but my, yeah. while I was over there, um, my, my father died. Oh, and so, so uh, I ended up coming and my mom and him and my mom live in Salt Lake city. And so I was mm -hmm. like, you know, maybe it's time to come be closer to my mom. And so we moved, we came and got the stuff and moved here in Salt Lake, which I've lived in Salt Lake off and on, you know, for the last 15 years or so, you know, just cause they've been here and I've, every time I was like in between places I'd come and stay. So I like it here. And, um, it actually has a really amazing startup scene as well. That's grown a lot. in since, you know, 10 years ago, um, yeah. which is exciting. 
That's amazing. Um, and I'm sure Marigold is, uh, is glad to be near grandma as well. Oh yeah. No, they're best friends. And, uh, (laughs) it's, she's now Marigold is six and a half. She'll be seven next month. Um, and we've got a two year old, two and a half year old, uh, Margaret and hanging out, they hang out with grandma here in Salt Lake. And we, uh, you know, we enjoy the, having the mountain, we go on bike rides and great mountain views. I've been taking her Marigold just started skiing and, um, or last year. And so now she, by the time I clip in at the top, she's at, she's already at the bottom. So she's I'm, I was going to say, there. she's going to be like hitting, you know, doing backies off cliffs before you know it. And then you'll be like, well, have a great day. Like, <laughs> that's like me with my kids now. So she's uh, just got, she just started to get to the age where she started snubbing me for her friends. Like they're more exciting. <laughs> and so at six, yeah, I'm like at six. <laughs> wow. I thought it would at least be eight. I know. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Well, so tell us, I, I want to give us a little plug on, I mean, obviously the story is amazing. And I'm uh, Jason, I really thank you for sharing. Josh. I, I'm sorry, Josh. I'm sorry. Oh my gosh. What am I, what am I doing? Uh, we'll it's okay. Well, we can out. edit it. Yeah. <laughs> Josh. So Josh, tell me about uh, just the, the, the product, like give a plug, give a plug here for, you know, for what you do and, and how you're different. I'd love, we'd love to. Yeah. So that was a really long backstory about me, but the product, that's kind of just the story to the beginning of the product. Right. And, um, since then, obviously we found great product market fit and traction with podcasters solving that initial recording problem, really big pain point for them. But we've now found, and a lot is happening. I'm skipping around a lot, but a lot has happened, you know, since we had that initial product, a, the podcasting space just continues to heat up. Um, be big players like all the big players ha- now have big podcasting initiatives and are coming in and um, some of them are trying to do good things some of them are trying to do exploitative things in the podcasting space and so um, you know we ended up deciding hey we have like this really amazing lead in the space uh, mm-hmm. and there's so many more problems to solve with for podcasters like there's a lot more to do here because as you know, getting a high quality recording is just one piece. Like you need to be able to find great guests. You need to be able to edit the content in a time efficient manner and know how to edit it. Like right now, most people are using really cryptic tools to do this and it's keeping a lot of people out of the market. Um, People need help distributing, promoting. And then I think most importantly, growing and monetizing. Mm -hmm. Most podcasters, whether even if it's just a hobby or if it's a, uh, a huge business they have in mind, they want to grow and they want to be able to get value for the content and the um, effort that they're putting into the ecosystem, just like YouTubers, you know? And so uh, this is, this is a lot of where, you know, we're refocusing our efforts on the company is to help podcasters holistically with the whole creation, production, distribution, monetization flow so that they can actually find success because it is hard. It is still hard to make a quality podcast and market it and actually figure out how to monetize it and stick with it if, um, through all that as well. Cause I mean, I'd be curious how much time do you spend on the podcast? Uh, (laughs) well, I have help. (laughs) Well, like if you, maybe if you added up the time of your team. Yeah, no, it's a great question. I, you know, I, if I were to estimate it, I would say probably, 
you know, for every episode that we produce, it's, I would measure it in probably, I would measure it in hours, um, but it's probably, yeah, it's at least a full kind of eight hour, I would say probably eight hour day. Yep. It's um, somebody's time, right? Yeah. No, we, we find uh, when we survey, people say often the average, I think around six hours per episode from okay. front to front to end, uh, which tracks with what you guys are talking about. And Well, I need to tell my team to pick up the pace. <laughs> yeah. <they're> probably, <laughs> um, no, you guys are putting in the extra, extra effort. The, um, but that's just, but- imagine if you, imagine if Instagram asked that of you. If, if right. in order to make a post on Instagram, you had to use five different tools, take yep. hours of your time, and you had to figure this all out on your own, they definitely wouldn't be have gotten a billion dollar offer from Facebook, right? Exactly. <laughs> or grown well, to the size they are. And you're right too, because it's not just uh, it's not just the recording or the episode. I mean, there's the post post episode stuff, but there's pre episode stuff too. Just coordinating, just you know, getting finding the guests, getting them getting them excited, and getting them prepped, and and doing some research and some background to just have some context for who we're even talking to and the prep work. And it's, a, there's a lot that goes into, uh, to doing it and, and, and doing it, I would say moderately well, let alone doing it great, you know, which we're still trying to aspire to. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so that's really where we're focusing on is further aligning ourselves with the creators, further partnering with them on all of the other problems that they have. To help them find success and, um, you know, uh, and when we'll grow alongside with them, I really th- see the podcast space as being analogous to the blogging space in '99. Back then, mm-hmm. you had to have uh, you had to have like your own web hosting server. You had to know like FTP and DNS and HTML, and you had to like. It costs money, uh, yeah. you know, these hosting sites were not, were expensive. So there was, you know, maybe thousands of blogs online. Then when blogger came along, made it. So if you just know how to type, you can have a blog online. Yeah. Then there was 50 million blogs within three years. Podcasting space is still before, before that inflection point. I think a lot of people think it's already taken off, but we're it's still at the very beginning stages. And I mean, if you look at like the ratio of creators to, listeners or consumers on like TikTok, for instance, it's 30% creators to 70% consumers in podcasting. It's like under a percent of creators. And that's a wow. wild, I've never wild heard set. that stat. I never knew that stat. Yeah. hundred, hundred. Well, just on Zencaster, hundreds of new podcasters are trying to start every day. I'm sure you can multiply every that day, every day. And that's not being wow. reflected in the output of how many active podcasters there are out there. Why is that? Is because it's still too many hurdles, still, you know, uh, just too hard to put all the pieces together. And this is what we're very, very actively um, focused on is just removing all those barriers, making it so if you have a voice, you can um, go out there, be heard, find an audience, grow, make money. Yeah, amazing. I mean, it's such an awesome quest and, and mission that you're on. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been been exciting. Like you, you know, I kind of drifted into the space from like a different audio focus. But man, what I've found is that podcasters are such fun people to work with. Yeah. Um, you know, they're obviously very social. Um, love, love to share their ideas, um, and they're very eager to work with each other, work with us, and um, connect with great audiences. There's so many problems to solve 
um, that it's hard to just figure out which one to pick rather than any, than or which view to pick rather than anything else. But we're really excited just to um, just get in there and make it so that it's not such a hard slog. You can actually do this. You know, you should be able to um, have everything set up, come in, record for forty five minutes, and then the other fifteen minutes produce, publish, promote, all that stuff. Yeah. What do you have any kind of macro level macro level views, Josh, about um, just the just the digital media space, like podcasting versus YouTube? Or, you know, like multimedia, uh, Patreon, like just the, the universe of all that this stuff out there and the, and the whole content creator economy. Any kind of fun, high level things, observations? You know, I may be stuck in my kind of podcasting box a little too much, but the way we look at it is it's it uh, like YouTube is awesome for YouTubers. Why doesn't that exist for podcasters? Like these these models have already all been proven out. Like if you have a YouTube channel, there's a place where you put your content, they automatically algorithmically search and discover your audience for you. There's a button you flip. Now you're making money. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Um, podcasters need this as well. And mm-hmm. it's there's no reason why it doesn't exist except for that podcasting hasn't had the money and the resources um, invested into it to build the tooling to, mm-hmm. to, to make all that happen. Well, speaking of raising money, I mean, you've, you've raised a little bit, huh? Like I think well, last round was last February, February of 21, I guess. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, as I, you know, again, jumping around, but as I've mentioned, all these big players are getting into the space. We had a really strong, um, cohort of, of quality conscious podcasters on our platform, you know, tens of thousands of creators, you know, creating, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of hours of content each month. Um, but we need, we definitely needed some money to grow quicker because there was just all of these big players coming to space. So, um, we, at the end of or uh, yeah, you named it beginning of 2021, we raised four and a half million dollars. This was to consolidate that entire tool chain and bring all those pieces together and just make it so you really can come to one place quickly, quick, easy to create, affordable to create, um, and then monetize. So, one of the things I left out in that is as I had um, been building this and before we raised money, I had gotten back in touch where I'd been staying in touch with my buddy, Adrian, who I met at Mahalo. He went to startup after startup. He became the uh, first engineer at a founding and part of the founding team at a company called Flippagram. They oh. became the fastest growing app in the app store ever. They got acquired by ByteDance, rolled up into what became TikTok. And so... As he was I, the first engineer at Flipper. Oh yeah. my gosh. So wow. he had a front row seat to just a really amazing growth uh, and acquisition and a, just a front row seat to watching how you grow a user generated content business um, and just manage all that and how, how all the levers you have to pull to actually find success there. And so um, for that reason and, and others, I brought him on as a co-founder. Um, which is a little bit unusual because the company was already profitable. I think we're at a million plus in annual recurring revenue. Um, but I realized that a, I was sick of being the only one. Like I, I kind of wanted help at that point. I just had so much on my shoulders by myself for so long. And then B, like he obviously just had such a great track record and knew how to kind of take the business from the point I had gotten it to the, the rest of the way. 
And so it was just a, a made a just partnership that really made a lot of sense. That's awesome. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's always tough when you're kind of a solo founder, but I mean, that sounds like you, you were patient and, and what a, what a match. I mean, I know Adrian, he's a, he's tremendous. Oh, yeah, I did not powerhouse. know he's a, he's a humble guy though. I didn't know that about him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, he's, he, he, he was uh, right there from the beginning. Awesome. So what's, what's in store in the, for the future here with this powerhouse team at, at, uh, at Zencast or anything exciting you want to share? Where you're yeah. going in 2022? Yeah, I mean, I just just um, kind of kicking down all those barriers that we've been talking about. You know, we're we're in the process of. I mean, we've recently launched, um, you know, transcription and editing tools. We're going to be launching sort of more advanced versions of that, bringing all the pieces together, making it really quick and easy for you to just do everything from one place, um, and um, connecting connecting people together, connecting people um, with the right people to grow your audience. As you know, like um, that's one of the best ways to grow. And um, so just helping, finding all the different ways that podcasters are hitting the roadblocks and stumbling, and we're just going to knock those out of the way. The, the, the blogger for the uh, for uh, uh, podcasting, I guess you could say. All right. That's, that's a little bit of an old one. Maybe, that, maybe that, that's not so catchy. <laughs> It's a nice ring to it, but if, yeah. If you were, well, if you were brown back in the day, it'll make sense. <laughs> well, uh, I got to say, Josh, I'm first of all, thank you for, for being on the show today. Really, really fun to have you. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, and I'm so thankful that math kept you from mechanical and from pursuing mechanical engineering because uh, we have this amazing platform that we use every day. And I would pay you $20 for this a month. So, you know, <laughs> that's, the, that's the greatest endorsement I can it give. Worked. <laughs> I'll pay more than that. I think we do. I don't know what we, I don't even know what we pay, but uh, it's, it's well worth every penny, well worth the value. So um, just to conclude, could you please tell our audience uh, where they can find out more about you and Zencaster online? Yeah, you can check us out obviously at Zencaster.com. Uh, we also are on Twitter at Zencaster. And um, yeah, hit us up. We'd love to chat. Awesome. Thanks, Josh. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Found in the Rockies. You can find links in the show notes or go to our podcast page at nextfrontiercapital.com to get links and contact information for today's guests. If you like what you heard and want more, please rate, review, and subscribe to get notified as our new episodes drop. We'll see you next time.